Uh, I've never been much of an Advent calendar person, having grown up wild and lawless in a pagan household where Christmas started the day after Thanksgiving. I didn't even learn that there was a season called Advent until I was an adult when I became an Episcopalian and began to understand the church's teachings on the season of darkness that precedes the great light. I made some changes at that point. Friends and family became alarmed when I stopped wishing people Merry Christmas before December 25th, and more so when I started hiding the baby Jesus at their homes when they had him on display too quickly in their nativity scenes. But one thing I've never quite picked up was the Advent calendar. It's not a conscious decision, but they are funny things. I mean, maybe it's just me... But chocolates don't really seem to match the feeling that I'm getting from our readings. Don't get me wrong, the great promises of Scripture are there, our ultimate hope. It's recited to us every week in these four weeks. But each one of them gleams with this edge of darkness. An Advent calendar that reflected this tone, this emotional tenor, would probably not be commercially viable, you know? You open one door and you find Malachi, the prophet who is the final book in our version of the Old Testament, right? We heard it this morning. He promises a messenger to prepare the way of the Lord, but a chill falls over the room when he adds, and who can abide the day of his coming? Who will be able to stand when he appears? Open another door and you've got John the Baptist shouting about repentance. He's wild-eyed, clothed in a hair shirt, and you can see his skeletal frame thanks to his diet of locusts and honey. I mean, that's another good idea for our liturgically appropriate Advent calendar, right? Open the door and get a chocolate-covered grasshopper uh, in there. Another door holds Isaiah, proclaiming that all flesh shall see the salvation of God. All flesh shall see and know every last one of us. But then he says, the mountains will be brought low. And we know that he doesn't mean this literally. Mary will sing this tune as well. She will say that the mighty will be cast down from their thrones. And when I look out comfortably from my seat of security and wealth, I know this somehow means I will be brought low too. All of these doors opening to these images of preparation, waiting, they always have this dark edge to them. Who will be able to stand? What are we waiting for? The world answers this for us easily. We're waiting for that next day's chocolate, for presents, for family time, for a few days off, for the pie that only grandma can make even though you have the exact recipe and you have made it with her and you've been trying and failing to perfect it for no fewer than 18 years. But Advent complicates these easy answers for what we're waiting for. 
We await the birth of the baby, the Son of God, with the sweetness and light of everything an infant holds. But we also know that that's happened already. The season of Advent for the church takes us beyond a sentimental remembrance. It asks us not to wait for December 25th, but for our Lord's promised return. Advent opens a door and asks, do you know how to wait? A friend recently asked me if I was a patient person. I mean, what kind of question is that to ask somebody, really? It's like saying, do you really need that second helping of dessert? Yeah, they know the answer when they ask you the question. Are you going to have time to read that book that you're buying? Was it constructive when you responded without taking time to cool off? The questioner knows the answer to the question that they've posed. What does patience even look like? I remember hearing the words of an old civil rights leader who said, until you've knocked at the locked door for years till your knuckles bled, you do not know what prayer is. So there's impatience on the one hand, but on the other, there's a way that patience wears thin, and it turns into putting your head down, giving up, to stop the process of knocking. Sometimes I wonder how much Advent is the questioner who asks what we know of patience. Because Advent of all the seasons of the church signifies to us who we are and how we live as Christians. That we are people who have seen the promise of the coming Lord. But we're also people who are waiting for the test results. People waiting for the right person to come along. For the relationship to mend. For the pain to ease. For the joy to rekindle. For the time when we feel whole for the time when we understand. Christianity is Advent. We are the people of the already and the not yet. Advent asks us to wake up from our apathy, to wait with expectation to be the people who bring about this fullness, the people who live into the promise of Christ's return and enact it. I mentioned Malachi to you earlier. Now, we Christians ordered our Old Testament differently than the Hebrew Bible. We put Malachi right at the end, the bookend. And if you know your Jewish theology, then you'll know that Malachi is promising the return of Elijah. Elijah was the prophet who never died. Jews will still leave an empty seat for him at the table. Elijah, Malachi says, will prepare the way for the Lord's coming. All the Gospels point to John the Baptist as the embodiment of this expectation. But a rabbi friend of mine is a fan of Elijah. She named her son after him. She said Elijah was the original superhero of the Bible. He worked these great miracles on earth. He healed and fed and brought the dead to life and was carried away on a chariot of fire. But she said, we believe that he will return. 
The question is, what is he doing until then? She says, Elijah can be found even now in our waiting. He's with the poor. He serves the sick. He sits with the outcast. He catches the tears of the brokenhearted. If your waiting looks like this, you can see him now, right there, teaching you how to prepare the way of the Lord.